another month on this space station known as my own life. Two passengers accompany me, my wife Tara and Poopy, my cat of several years, one of the bravest and simultaneously one of the most frightened beings I could hope for as a fellow cadet. This past week was a further isolation chamber. There was an asteroid belt. Very, very fine asteroids known as snow and ice. Five or six inches. Oh man. It was enough to paralyze the entire town where I reside, Nashville, Tennessee. Which of course, is already in a pandemic. A snowstorm in a pandemic. How can this be happening? Have I not suffered enough? Reality needs more options. I've been ready for some time for a concept to satisfy me in this way. And as of this podcast, I have found it. Time slips. Time slips. This first story is from episode 438 of Jim Harold's Campfire podcast, which I highly recommend. Here is me playing... A testimonial calling in to Jim Harold's campfire. I found this story as haunting as I did healing. So this happened in about um, the year 2003. Um, I had just moved to Richmond, Virginia with my family, my parents and my two brothers. And this was the summer where we found something odd happening in our neighborhood. So we moved to the suburbs and became quick friends with the neighbors. And we had one friend of ours who we really attached with. She was great and around our age. Um, my older brother was about 14. I was 11 and my little brother and her were about eight. And we started to um, explore this creek that was at the bottom of our street. And we would walk through the shallow muddy water there weekly. We got really used to just being outside that whole summer. And we spent our summer walking the same path one way down this creek. Um, and then we would return after a couple hours of being down there. But one day, my brothers and our neighbor friend walked the normal path down the creek. And imagine probably walking 20 minutes in shallow water and you come to this small clearing and it's in the neighborhood. So you don't expect anything. I don't remember this clearing really being there. But today, the clearing actually had a huge old gray kind of Victorian stone house. And we had never seen it all summer. Right. It just popped up. Huh? Yeah. And so we look up and we're looking at this house. And then we realize at the edge of the Creek, um, it's probably two, like a two or three foot climb up and down the Creek is a little hill on the side. And there's a boy there staring at us. And he's kind of in like this gray, black Victorian era clothing. Huh? 
And he is wearing like high socks, black shoes. And this is like Richmond, Virginia in summer. If you've ever lived in Virginia, it's humid. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we're thinking, what is he doing? He's just looking at us, looks as amazed as we are that we're in his area. We have been there all summer. We've never seen him. We've never seen this huge stone house behind him. It's multiple stories high with like pointy tops. And um, he's standing there and he picks up this cat that's standing next to him. Like he went over to go get his cat. And we kind of just look at him and we, he looks scared. So we don't say anything and we're kids. We don't know what to do. <laughs> and he turns and starts walking away. And we look around and then we see his mom at the door. It has this huge doorway to the opening of the house. It's kind of an archway with French doors. And she's staying there with her arms crossed. She's also in Victorian clothing, super dark, long dress, um, the kind that puffs out. And she has her arms crossed, looking stern at him, calling him over to come back. But we can't hear her. But he's acting like he could hear being called back. And uh, so he goes inside. But all of a sudden, it's like within five seconds, he was standing in front of us. And then we blink and he's up on the second floor balcony staring at us like he just zoomed inside somehow. Huh. Yeah. And. So then we're looking at this house and it's like totally out of place. We're used to just normal suburban houses. It has like multiple pointy tops to it. And we think that is so weird. And we're afraid now because we're into the neighborhood and there's this mom that's mad at us for being in their backyard, basically. Sure. So we leave and we come back a couple of days later and we come to the same clearing. The house is not there at all. Oh, boy. Yeah. And we're, we know the path. There's one way in and one way out of the creek. You just follow it. And we look it around and the clearing is there. And we look to the side and there's a tree there now. And it has stone steps wrapped around the base of the tree. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. So yes. you, you guys, you saw into another time, it sounds like. We think so. It was just too weird. And why would stone steps be wrapped around any tree in the neighborhood just left there? Very uh, weird. Wow, that is wild. Now, what did your friends say about it? I mean, do they recall it in the same way that you do? Well, it's funny. We didn't talk about that for years because we just, as kids, you know, you, you care about one thing and then you move on. You care about something right. else. So we go on our adult lives not thinking about this in the slightest. And now we're all in our late 20s and we get together for a party a couple of years ago and we all are sitting around talking about, you know, funny um, things that happen, weird stories you can't explain. And one one of our I think it was the neighborhood friends. She brought up, well, do you all remember the house in the creek? And we were all shocked. We thought that was our own individual, you know, like dream. We didn't remember that actually being true because we never talked about it again. Right. So we're all telling the story and we're like, yes, that's what he was wearing. Yes. He was going to pick up a cat and yes, his mom was mad. And then he was standing up in the second floor balcony staring at us. And then yes, we all remember seeing the stone steps wrapped around the tree. And so I did something actually before calling in, I asked my brothers and my friend to just for like, to give yourself 60 seconds and draw the house like you remember before I do this call because I, I need confirmation that I'm not calling sounding crazy. <laughs> and um, they all draw a sketch of the house and they're all the same. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is so wild. 
That is so wise. <laughs> now, did you ever think of now that you're older, uh, have you ever thought about maybe going back and doing some research to see what that house was and, we, and when it was there? That would make sense. Yeah, because there's um, a place called the Midlothian Mines here in town and there's some local spots where it's definitely been developed and then things torn down in past history. And it's definitely something going on back there because the it felt when I we were looking at that kid and looking at the mom and looking at the house, it felt like it was some kind of wartime. It was dark. It was just a grim situation. You could tell there were no men around. Like that woman was left alone with her son and she was in a bad situation. So it definitely felt like we were looking at something real in that moment. Well, if you do some more research, please do let us know because I'd love to find out uh, the the facts and figures behind that actual place. And the thing is, is that I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but as strange as it was for you, it was probably strange for the boy too. And I don't know how close you were, but he would think, you know, what are these, who are these kids in these odd clothes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of clothing is that? Yeah, they you didn't know? know about basketball shorts back then. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? What are they wearing? You know, I, I mean, you had to think that maybe in the reverse, it was kind of spooky for him, and maybe he was seeing your side of time as well—that something had temporarily opened up. That is so wild. Yes. Oh, they seemed more scared of us, really, than we were of them. We were just confused. They were actually looked terrified. Oh man. I'll tell you, I, I really believe, Maggie, that the nature of our reality is so different than we understand that I don't doubt these things unleashed. This reminds me a little of the Roadhouse Saloon story that we've shared so many times over the years, that you're kind of out of time, you're out of space, you're not where we're supposed to be. Years ago, one of our longest time listeners, Sandy, had a story where she was walking and she kind of walked back into time for a short period of time and then she came back. And I think these things happen because I think our reality is somehow layered or there's things we can't see or multiple dimensions or maybe maybe all the time in the world exists at the same time. But we're like on this one track and we can't see it to either side of us, uh, below us, above us or to either side. Another example of that is we had a call a couple of years ago, I think. A young man remember being a little boy and being very frightened because he walked into his kitchen. Is this the way I remember? He walked into his kitchen and he saw a hooded figure making a sandwich like a teenager and he didn't understand what it was and it scared the heck out of him because like, I don't know who that is. And then uh, several years later, this same boy had grown up. He was a teenager. He was minding his own business. He was making a sandwich and wearing a hoodie. And he saw this <laughs> little figure go through the hallway and he couldn't figure out what it was. Then it clicked. He saw wow. himself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So I'll tell you, it's a strange world, and we're living in it. I stand, I wait, and I see. And I see nothing unusual from where I am right this moment. But I am open, so open. Will my time slip come to me when I am walking down a street 
Might it come to me whilst I am driving? A woman and a five-year-old daughter were driving at night in Dundee, Michigan, and there were no people around anywhere, when all of a sudden, all of the surroundings changed, and it was light, and people were now dressed in clothing from the 1800s. She slammed on the brakes as a lady pushing an old baby carriage was crossing the road right in front of her. She thought she was going crazy. She said that this only happened for a few seconds. Well, she was later asked by a friend, what was the reaction of the people from the 1800s? Did anyone look at you or react? She said that I was looking around and it happened so fast. I remember looking at the people on the street, but I don't remember making eye contact with any of them. I do remember the woman pushing the baby carriage and she just stopped and I'm slamming the brakes so I didn't hit them. She looked frozen in shock, the exact same way I looked and felt. And as I slammed on my brakes, I heard the tires screech and my eyes never left her. After I jerked forward and stopped, everything went back and it was night again. A few years later, when her daughter was 13, she brought up the incident with her daughter, who said, I heard you talking and yelling, but I couldn't see you. She said, Mum, you disappeared for a second. Yet at the time of the incident, I remembered looking at my hands, then at myself in the mirror, and then at my daughter, who was asleep. I was in complete shock. My daughter said that she was awake and saw me disappear, but could hear me. Apparently, the slamming and screeching of the brakes was the ending for whatever this event was. This last time slip tale, for now, may transcend even whatever a time slip is. It's just sort of everything. I've listened to it, googled the details. I've even gone to my nearest train tracks looking for answers, looking for a loophole. This is from the Bedtime Stories podcast, uh, season six, episode 16. Thank you, Bedtime Stories. I can't sleep. In the summer of 1911, shortly before the Great War, which would forever change the face of the European mainland, a small Italian manufacturing firm situated in Rome was seeking investment for a new railway project. Having successfully constructed a prototype locomotive, the directors of the Zanetti company sent out invitations to local investors and dignitaries, offering them the chance to be part of a luxurious demonstration journey. On the morning of July the 14th, the Zanetti engine set off from Rome's principal train station, travelling up and along the railway lines which led to the northern city of Milan. It pulled behind it three heavily laden passenger cars occupied by a total of 106 company employees and guests. Spirits among the travellers were soon riding high as their mode of transportation wound its way up through the idyllic Italian countryside. Several hours later, the passengers found themselves crossing the southern regions of Lombardy, not far from the end of their journey. The planes they were passing through gradually started to give way to much rockier terrain. This marked the run-up to a mountainous region which they needed to negotiate in order to reach their destination. It was at this point, as the locomotive was approaching the first in a series of tunnels which had long ago been carved into the base of the mountains, that some of the guests began to experience an unexpected phenomenon. Several reported to the stewards that they could see a mysterious white haze 
forming around the train's exterior. At the same time, an ominous and deep humming sound began to pulsate through each of the carriages, causing some of the passengers to experience a degree of nausea and vomiting. One of the travellers pulled down the window nearest to where he was standing. He peered up ahead of the train, looking beyond the filthy black smoke issuing forth from its funnel, and then cried out in alarm. The milky fog that was smothering the train seemed to be pouring out the mouth of the tunnel that they were rapidly approaching. As this vapour continued to envelop the carriages, it became so thick that visibility inside the compartments was reduced to a shadowy half-light. By now, despite the best efforts of the train's staff, fear and panic began to take hold. As the engine rushed on towards the foreboding tunnel entrance, there was a panicked rush towards the doors of the three carriages. Passengers jostled and pushed one another in a desperate effort to exit the train, with two successfully managing to break free and hurl themselves out onto the ground. The two escapees watched on in terror as the train and its three carriages barreled on into the tunnel, disappearing from sight. It would take several hours for word of the incident to make its way back to the company's offices in Rome, who in turn alerted the authorities in Milan. Soldiers and mountain rescue staff were immediately rushed down to the tunnel network, in a frantic bid to locate the missing locomotive. But no trace of the Zanetti engine or its passengers were to be found. Troops and rescuers accessed the tunnel network via the northern end of the line, only to emerge in confusion at the point where the missing engine had entered. There was no wreckage, no bodies, and no sign that the train had ever passed through the tunnels. Eager to avoid damaging the reputation of the country's rail network, the authorities moved swiftly to cover up the incident working closely with national newspapers to minimise coverage of the story. Over the next few years, private searches of the tunnels were organised by relatives of the missing travellers, without success. Eventually, after sustaining damage from Allied bombing raids at some point during the Second World War, the tunnels were closed down and their entrances blocked off. The Zanetti train became little more than a distant memory, a ghost story told to local children before they went to sleep at night, until a mysterious incident nearly 40 years later and 2,000 kilometres away from where the train vanished. On October 29, 1955, a railway signalman in the Ukrainian city of Sevastopol reported to his superiors that a mysterious train had passed through the crossing he had been working on. He described the train as being very old in appearance, and pulling three carriages, all with their curtains drawn. More concerning still, he insisted that not only had it passed directly through the crossing barriers, but had also crossed the railway line at a point where there were no corresponding tracks for it to travel upon. The mystery train was witnessed several more times travelling through the Ukrainian countryside, most recently in September of 1991 when hikers reported having observed it passing through a crossing near the city of Poltava. These sightings prompted university researchers in the country to investigate the history behind the ghostly locomotive, and were shocked by what they discovered. Apparent references to the train may have been made as early as the Middle Ages. Monks in the Italian city of Modena 
wrote that they had witnessed a great metallic creature travelling across the fields near their monastery, with three similar entities following behind it. They further described how it spouted suffocating black smoke from its snout, before disappearing from view. There is also a report that over a hundred patients were admitted to an asylum in Mexico City during the summer of 1845, after they were found wandering the streets in a confused state. The detainees claimed to be Italian, having travelled to the city by train, even though no documentation or witness to their arrival could be found in the city's railway station. Did the Zanetti train somehow enter a portal or doorway that caused it to travel both backwards and forwards through time? Is it still trapped within a winding and unpredictable corridor through space-time, reappearing in various locations, only to come to a distressing and inevitable conclusion in 19th century North America? I think we are actually on the same wavelength. I just want to be very sure that we are discussing exactly what it is that you want to change rather than uh, you know, get the, a misinterpretation because I think things change as time goes by and I also think that uh, what you would like to accomplish changes a little bit too, although the basic core issues I agree with you on. Sorry that I had to run off yesterday, but I had a, a, a bleeding emergency at the hospital that had to be taken care of. So if you want to reschedule uh, to chat about this, uh, I think that's a good idea. And I, I also want you to know that we shouldn't be rushing into anything at this point. Time is something you want to handle to see what things fun. So if you wish to reschedule again, I'll be happy to sit down.